0: Good morning. All right, there we go. Good morning. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, starting in verse 14. We're going to be reading from the CSB version. So open your uh, scriptures, and let's read God's Word together. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone, Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Amen. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reading of God's word. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Um. It is a pleasure, it is a joy to be with you here this morning in church um, as we wrap up our DNA series that we've been going through the month of August. Uh, my name is Trent Egbert. I am one of our lay elders here at Blueprint. Uh, my family and I have been here for about six, six and a half years now. Many of you know my amazing wife, Shana. A lot of y'all serve my, my three kids downstairs, Ava, Claire, Piper, and Nolan. Um, and as I said, it's just a joy to... Uh, to sit here and to talk about our DNA. You know, we've been here for, like I said, six years. And for every year in August, we come back to these uh, fundamentals of who we are as a church and what are we about? What has God specifically called us, Blueprint Church, to in this time, in this space? And so it, it can become uh, routine. It can become something that we are familiar with, but it's a glorious opportunity to be reminded of what we have been called to. And so Uh, you may have heard us talk about things like we believe the gospel changes people and people change the world. And as a church, we exist to unleash healthy people to do ministry where life exists. We define health as people who are growing in the gospel in the context of family while on mission. And we aim to create a culture of people who are gospel-centered believers, where the gospel reshapes our identity. We think, speak, and live as people who have been made new. We just sung about that. And we're gonna get to see that again in our text today. In the second week, Dottie spoke on responsible siblings where we say we are family. And as family, we actively take responsibility for one another. And then last week, indigenous disciple makers. We intentionally seek to make disciples where we live, work and play, right? We're not a church that has a bunch of ministry and events, but rather we want to equip you to go into the areas God has already purposed you in Um, to make disciples in that context. And finally, uh, today, I'm going to close out our series on our final aim, Generous Stewards, where we faithfully manage our time, talent, and treasure as resources for God's purposes. And I love this aim because it is everywhere throughout the scriptures, throughout our lives, we see these opportunities. Uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, there was over 35 passages across the old and the new that just fed my soul about this idea of stewardship, right? You get the parables, things like the parable of the talents where, you know, God, the, the owner gives one talent, two talents, and five talents, and how they steward those has a big impact on how their, their owner responds to them, right? And you see it in the work and life of Christ, And so as we look at stewardship across Scripture, I want to come back and just give a very simple definition. A steward is someone who manages on behalf of the owner right? And so maybe an example of this would be a, a treasured fa- family heirloom that's been in your, your family for generations and generations. And now that family heirloom, it sits with you, right? And yeah, you love it. You revere it, it. It has emotional value, but you know it's bigger than you. And you know it's something that you would hope to pass on to future generations. So there's this beautiful paradox of stewardship of it's not fully ours, but we get to enter into it and we get to um, uh, cherish and, and steward it. And so one thing I want to say just right from the get-go is that uh, I know this idea of stewardship may bring on some emotions of shame or guilt or, or anger even, right? Maybe um, you're in a tight spot financially right now, and the last thing you want to hear is the church asking you to give money, right? Maybe you've been generous in the past, and you've seen people um, misuse um, your time, your talent, your generosity, Right? Maybe uh, from a time and a talent perspective, uh, you're really stretched for time right now. Maybe you got kids at home. Maybe you got a really demanding school or work schedule. So the first thing I want to say, just loud and clear, is that generous stewards is not first about what you have to do, but what Christ has already done on our behalf. Amen? And so Christ has given us everything we have, and we're going to see in our text, we are then compelled to use it for his glory. And we see this beautifully all throughout the text that we just read, that we've been in all month. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, as we sung that you have given us so, so much. You have been faithful for our lives and the generations before. You are good. You are a good, good father who does not withhold any good thing from those who love you and are called according to your purpose, Lord. Help us to see this. Help us to understand the billions of ways that you are in our lives, and you are working it together for our good and for your glory, Lord. Help this sermon to be about you and about what you have done in your perfect life, your death, and your resurrection. And only then can we look at what we can then go do and what we, how we can be part of the great work that you have already started. We love you, God. We are so thankful, um, that you are the perfect son, the perfect elder brother who gives us the perfect airtight example of how we should then live. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So uh, as we've gone through that text, I actually wanna start at the last verse that we read, verse 21, because this is the foundation on which generous steward stands. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I Just just because it's so important, I wanna read it again. I wanna put kind of the proper nouns in um, these sentences so we're we're crystal clear. God made Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Um, I'll, I'll never forget when... My wife and I were in college. Uh, This great uh, Christian teacher came and spoke to us. His name was Jerry Bridges. He's since gone on to be with the Lord. He's written a number of books. I commend them to you. Uh, They're fantastic resources. And I'll never forget, he was teaching on this text and he gave um, this analogy that has stuck with me um, of how the Christian life in the gospel is a lot like the financial concept of a balance sheet, right? And the balance sheet is a simple, hey, you have assets and you have liabilities. Your assets are the things you own, the things of value, right? Maybe it's a car, maybe it's your clothes, it's a house, whatever. And then your liabilities are the debts, the things that you owe, the IOUs, right? The, the credit card payment coming up. And so he likened this to the gospel in that because of God's perfect standard, we have no assets to give. Because of original sin with Adam, we have nothing to give. The Bible says our good works are like filthy rags, right? So we have nothing on this side of the equation. But then on the liability side of the equation, we have our sin. We have where we fall short, all of us, before the glory of God, right? And what Jesus did when he came and he lived the perfect life, he died the death we deserve, and he rose again— right? he. We talk a lot about how he forgave our sins. If you believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, he forgives our sins. Amen. And this is good news. We love this. But too often, we stop at the forgiveness of sins and the erasing of our liabilities when there's so much more that Christ has done. Because not only did he erase our liabilities, but he also, uh, there's a theological term in imputation. Christ imputed his righteousness, his assets onto us. And so when God looks at us and he sees not our liabilities, he sees that wiped away from Christ and he sees the assets of Christ. He says, "We are." he is our elder brother. He sees us. And so when he sees us, And he he says, "Good, well done, my good and faithful servant, not because of anything we've done, but because solely what Christ has done. And even now, right now, he is sitting in heaven, interceding on behalf behalf of us so that we are embodying the, the righteousness of Christ. So if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have this gift. And this is huge. This has massive implications on our lives. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich, right? And this changes us. This changes our perspective. A lot of times when our kids are are walking out the door to school, we'll, we'll tell them, hey, remember, you're a child of the king. And our hope is that, when you when you think about that, like, oh, I'm I'm a child of the King, I'm royal. Like that that influences you. That gives you confidence, not confidence in of yourself, but confidence in in Christ and what He has done for you, and the fact that you are a King. You are a co heir with Christ. So this again, I hope, Church, if there's one thing you take away from the sermon, I hope it is this: that we are in Christ, and that is the only foundation we have in which we can then go and steward for His glory. Now let's go back to the top of the text and look at verse 14, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. I love that verb in verse 14 compelled, right? When you're compelled to do something, you don't do it begrudgingly. Um, you don't, it may not be something that you necessarily want to do or, oh, I'm, I'm so happy to do this, right? Because what's he talking about? No longer living for yourself, but for him who was raised, right? It's not necessarily something easy, but we're compelled. I, I can't remember the exact terms, but I've heard Dottie use a, a statement around the lines of like, you know, the, the outcome is worth the pain that you endure, right? And so that's this idea of compelled, right? The Greek word is sineho, which means, hold together, press hard, seize, attack, consume, grip, devote, right? These are, this is a strong word of action, but Christ, again, is only calling us to do what he himself has already done. Mark 10:45. for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, this isn't easy, and, and it's also strange, right? It looks weird. We're, we're already taxed, right? Like, why in the world would you give your money to, to something else, right? And so this looks weird to the world, looks strange, but what the world often misses is that asset side of the equation, and they miss how much we have been given, amen? And so I'll never forget, uh, Jenny and Ken Lang were sharing a story at our city group one time about a trip they had made, uh, and they were visiting a vineyard, and these farmers were telling them about, you know, how these grapes grow, and, you know, there's some beautiful analogies of, like, the roots grow so deep that there's not even a need for water. And so, of course, this is This reminds us of uh, John 15. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit in itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you remain in me, right? And so we see, again, this picture, it all rests in Christ. But there was another kind of aspect to this analogy that really stood out to me. And these farmers told them, and it's actually the best grapes are the ones that grow closest to the vine, right? And what I thought was so amazing about that is because A number of times in in scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, for example, Nehemiah 1035, we will bring the first fruits of our land and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. Yes, God is calling a lot of us. He's calling us to give our first fruits. But again, those first fruits are best that we have to offer are the ones that are closest to him or the closest to abiding in him. Let's look at verse 16. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. See, stewardship, like I said, is everywhere. It's in our lives, there's opportunities, it's, it's in the church, it's in scripture. Um, and one thing about stewardship is if you really buy into this idea of, man, everything has been given to me, Christ has done it all, therefore I am compelled to go use it for his glory. It changes our perspective and it creates an eternal perspective. And it's not just an eternal perspective in the sense of like, oh, one day all things will be perfect. But no, it changes our attitude for the here and now, for the daily nitty gritty details of our life. Um, Tim, Tim Keller says this so well. He says, the Bible says this material world was created by God and he is going to renew it and it is going to last forever. Those who believe the Bible have an attitude toward this material world, toward the, the basics like food and drink, toward the body, toward this material creation that is more positive and more hopeful than any worldview could possibly afford. See, if the purpose of salvation is not the escape from material creation, but the renewal of material creation, the purpose of salvation is not to get us out, but to renew what we are in. And then not only forgiveness of sins and not only salvation of the soul, but fighting poverty, fighting disease, and fighting hunger is part of God's agenda. So to be called by Jesus to live out the gospel of grace and of a new world coming, the world we want under the King, it is different. Oh, it is different. It's not just morality. It's not just being good. It's not just pardon. It's not just going to paradise. It's different. It is so world-affirming. It is so you-affirming. It is so affirming. It is so radical, right? This is a radical life that we are called to, but again, we do it all based on what Christ has given to us. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. We sung about this multiple times today because this is a glorious truth that I think, especially if you've grown up in the church, we can, we can be desensitized to it. We can move right past it. Another way the Bible talks about this, you know, old versus new is, is death and life, right? And, and just think about that for a second. Is there anything more opposite in this world than death and life? right? Like, those are two completely different states of mind and states of being. And so going back to our analogy of the first fruits, like, of course, if we're dead, like, we can produce nothing. So again, it's a constant reminder that all we have, everything is from Christ, and we are then compelled to use it for his glory. Verse 18, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, again, we, hit, we see this key word here at the very beginning of the verse, everything, right? Everything is from God. And so what this starts to remind us, if we really think about that, everything, like the billions and billions of, of little intersections in our lives are all from God, right? So stewardship is a close cousin to humility and an awareness of like, man, there's so much outside of our control. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I did the Q&A and I I shared about this concept that's really been encouraging my soul of the N-shaped dynamic versus the U-shaped dynamic. And our world is is so, there's so many opportunities for the N-shaped dynamic in the world, right? You go and do something so that you might get a return. You earn your job, your pay so that you get paid. You, you know press into a relationship so that maybe you build those relationships. But what the gospel gives us is a U-shaped dynamic. You were dead, you were old, you had nothing to bring and only by grace did Christ bring us out of it. And so this is fundamental church, I get that, but we never outgrow our need for the gospel and its implications throughout our lives. Uh, I was reading an article uh, about, you know, all this stuff around AI and large language models, ChatGPT, all that stuff, and there's a job right now, I think it's at Netflix, where you can get, if you have this AI background, you can get a base salary of $900,000 a year, right? Pretty nice, right? And you know before maybe a couple months ago, the average was around one hundred and thirty five still, still not bad that's good, but uh, but nine hundred thousand dollars. so if you have a nine hundred thousand job you 're feeling pretty good about yourself, right? Hey, look at me, you know i 'm doing this, but just slow down and think about all the little things that had to, everything is from God. Think about all that that had to come into the right place for you to be able to get that job. Think about the family you had to grow up in, the, job, the, the school you had to go to. Just think about the fact that man, if you were maybe born 10 years earlier, like you would have missed this whole thing, right? So that's just a small, like we get a tiny glimpse of how God is sovereign, and how he's working all things together. And that is what is true. We are called to steward everything. Not even, like, that's why we kind of bucketed it into time, talent, and treasure, because we think that encompasses the things that we have been given to then use for his purposes. Right? And scripture talks a lot about money. There are over 2,000 verses about money across the word. Almost twice as many as faith and prayer combined. And I thought this was interesting. 40% of Jesus's parables are about money. And I think, you know, the, the point of money is not money in itself. Because again, go back to that parable, the, the, the steward of the talents, right? He gave the one two and he gave the one five. They both doubled it. And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant." to both. He wasn't like, oh no, five, you, you're really the well done one, right? So it's not about necessarily the amount and the act that... It's, I think the reason God talks so much about money and scriptures talk so much about money is because it's such an easy, clear indicator of what our treasure is, right? And if we really sit down and we look at that and maybe you throw in your calendar too and, and where are you spending your time? It's so easy to, to see, okay, this is really what I'm investing in, right? And scripture talks about this, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's look at Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message, message of reconciliation to us. Um, see, reconciliation, it's an economic term, right? It, it means to have an account for everything in its purpose. It's kind of what we've been talking about, of like God is sovereign and sees all these things. And what biblical stewardship really exposes is the difference between our economy, our world's economy, and God's economy, right? Our world will value maybe efficiency and profits and busyness and, you know, influence and and all this, right? But I'll never forget, uh, many of you guys know the name Chip Dodd. He's been here a number of times and he used this great thought experiment. He was like, you know, Jesus could have, in his ministry, showed up into a city and be like, hey, everybody, I'm here. Why don't we get everybody who needs to be healed, like lined up on this wall. I'm gonna grab something to eat. I'll be right back. And then shows back up. All right, everybody's good. Bzz, y'all are all healed. Appreciate it. You know, like and subscribe. I'm out. I'm gonna, you know, go to the next town, right? But no, what did he do, right? He he slowed down. He entered into relationships, right? he wait, He stopped for the woman who grabbed his garment. He waited for the one leper out of the 10 to come back and worship him, right? So God's economy is different than our economy. God sees all these second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth order consequences perfectly and is, as our text says, reconciling them to himself. And this has some glorious implications because we, when we enter into this, when we have our liabilities removed because of the grace of Christ and we have the assets imputed to us, we get to enter into this. D'Hadi uh, used this great analogy a while back of uh, the Oceans movies. I forget all the numbers, but, you know, there was this idea where you have all these thieves and they're doing, the, and they were good thieves, right? Like, we, we like these thieves. They're like the good hero people. And, um, and, but, you know, they all had these side hustles. They all had these little things going on. And the main character, um, I'm drawing a name. What's his name? Uh, George Clooney. Someone said it. Um, you know, he's like, hey guys, give up your side hustle. I got a big one. I got a heist that's going to end all heist, right? And that's kind of what God is calling us to, right? He's like, hey, give up your side hustle. Give up that YouTube channel that's not really doing that well. And like, come and be part of something great. That, that was maybe low. I apologize for that. <laughs> but, but, you know, it is true, right? No matter what it is, like, we are called to something so much greater. Uh, I love the way Paul Tripp puts it in one of his books. He says, we were never meant to be self-focused little kings ruling minuscule little kingdoms with a population of one. The mistake that we have made is that we have shrunk Christianity to the size of our own lives. We have taken God's grace and wisdom as an invitation to a better marriage, a better relationship with children, a better extended family life, better success at work, et cetera, et cetera. And there is a way that God's grace does invite us to all those things. But here is the point God invites you to so much more. God's grace invites you to be part of something that is far greater than your boldest and most expansive dream. His grace cuts a hole in your self-built prison and invites you to step into something so huge, so significant, that only one word in the Bible can adequately capture it. And that word is glory. Um, When I... Received this text and was teaching it. I reached out to uh, a number of people, but Will Buxton, and I was like, hey, what does is, what is generous stewards mean to you? And, and I loved his simple response. He's like, man, stewardship is just about the end goal, and that is God's glory, right? How are we going and finding God's glory in our lives? Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this idea of ambassadors, it's really similar to to stewards in a way, right? We're to represent something bigger than ourselves. It's like that family heirloom, right? It's something beyond us, beyond our our current lives and our generation. And, you know, ambassador and steward, it really kind of creates this priority, right? Scripture tells us we are a Christian first before anything else, before our title at job, before even being a parent or a husband or wife, right? And so this should change like kind of everything that we do, right? Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, right? And so that's that you shaped, right? It's, it's the thing that um, we do because again, of all that we've been given, we're working unto the Lord, not just for our own you know, selfish outcomes. And I'll never forget when we first moved here, um, uh, sitting down with Dahadi and Angie, and Angie said something to me that stuck with me for what, six plus years now. And she said, you know, Christians should be at the top of their respective professions. They should be the best because of this verse, because you're working for the Lord and not unto men. And that changes us. That gives you a mindset and a, an approach and a perspective that's different than the world. No longer are you you know playing some Machiavellian politics at your job trying to get a leg up on someone, right? And so... Um, you know, we see this. And, and actually, I will say, uh, he is up here. Our, um, the first book I thought of outside of scripture when I knew we were teaching on generous stewards was our very own, Amisho Baraka Lewis's book, He Saw That It Was Good. And this is a great, I commend it to you because it's a great book to to kind of look at all these second order consequences, all these opportunities that we have to steward what God has given and be part of something so much greater than ourselves. And I love the way he said it. He said, our faith makes us more compassionate and sensitive but it doesn't remove our excellence or our drive. And that's the beauty of the Christian life. It's this beautiful paradox of like, we wanna be the best. We wanna strive hard. We wanna work hard. But at the same time, we're not gonna step on people to get there. We're not gonna you know, do it for the wrong motivation. But again, where does this all come from? It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from what Christ did. And when Christ left, he gave us the Holy Spirit that convicts us and makes that possible. And oftentimes, I love the ripple effects of this because if you are excellent and you, um, people respect you in the spheres of life, in your, um, in your work, in your neighborhoods, right? That's often a great tool for evangelism, right? Because then people, they wanna know what you're about. And uh, I love the way Jeff Vanderstile says it. You wanna live in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. Like why, if you're a doctor, like you're busy all the time, why are you out here helping at this health fair on a Saturday, right? And so it changes so many details, of how we approach this life. So as we start to wrap up, um, a question we often ask around this topic is, how can you intentionally invest your time, talent, and treasure to cultivate greater relationships with God, our family, and your neighbors? One very simple one is, uh, is just to kind of take a step back and take an audit of your time and of your finances and like, man, are you spending or are you investing, right? Spending is something like maybe we have to do or it's frivolous. Investing is something you believe is gonna create an outcome in the future, right? A return in the future. Because sometimes stewardship is about giving and, and giving more, but a lot of times it's about removing the barriers that inhibit us from, um, from being good stewards, right? Colossians 4 or 5 says it this way, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of your time. But then as I just kind of continue to wrestle through, all right, what does practical implications look like when there's so many varied ways you can approach this? I just started jotting down, um, you know, areas I see across the church um, where people have been embracing this aim. Uh, I think about, again, our brother show who just kicked off the Issachar lectures on Friday and is helping us see where, how the gospel impacts the here and now. I think about him taking the time to write that book. That was such an encouragement to me. Uh, I think about all of our teachers, Christine Allen, Henrietta Mitchell, Allie Wilson. I know I'm missing so many more, but I know these three specifically have gone through difficult events as teachers, but yet they remain steadfast in that calling to serve those kids. I think about the Messinis and, and going through the membership process and just seeing a need for worship and, and instantly stepping in. How can I serve? I think about Jack and A.J. Bjork um, sacrificing their lives to be missionaries overseas I think about Jenny and Ken Lang constantly opening their home for fellowship and opportunities to to talk about Jesus. Uh, I think about Tara Schloss, who is literally the definition of a generous steward, constantly giving of herself for the good of others. I think about Monica's leadership and Caleb Goldmeyer recently stepping up downstairs in Hello World to to prep ahead of time and, and really think about how do I teach these kids the gospel? How do I really bring it down to their level so that man, they understand these rich, rich truths? I think about one of my fellow elders, Chris Duncan, who's relentlessly looking for ways um, to steward his businesses uh, for the kingdom. I think about our brother, Darren Jones, who uh, is often here hours after service, waiting to lock up solely so people can fellowship and be prayed over and enjoy that time together despite us telling them, it's okay, you can go. I think about Christine White, Erica Wigfall, Ditson Noel, so, so many others who year after year have served on the various ministry teams, Hello World, worship, crew. I think about last week, Lonnie, Ernesto, Isaac, stepping up to lead and serve us in the men's gathering, right? I think about the Japan and Kenya team sacrificing weeks and months this past summer to go and and evangelize in those areas. Uh, I think about Eric Wilson, Lee Deneen, who, you know, have taken what the world would say maybe is less prestigious, less demanding jobs with a primary intent to better give to their family and serve their local church. And I can, I'm standing up here today saying how much of a personal blessing those two men have been because of that margin that they have created in their own lives. I think about David Crockett, who started ministries to evangelize Atlanta. I think about our own pastor, Carly, who, as he's mentioned, right, didn't really want to move here, right? He was he was doing good where he was, but wanted to empower his wife to steward her gifts that the Lord had given her. And even then, when coming here, you know, maybe some some more comfortable options, but here leading us, serving us. I Think about our brother, Justin Brew, stepping up to lead SALT, our college ministry. I think about Aaron and Nafisa Charles starting a new city group in West Atlanta, seeing that need. I think about our brother Josh Boyle, who just recently, the last couple of weeks, like stewarding the gifts and the skill set that he built up through college to, to help improve the operations and the processes within the church. I think about Mitchell Dugan, who in innumerable ways over years and years consistently shows up to serve in whatever area is needed. I think about my brother Corey Brown and Dahadi who you know, said no to maybe an easier job, a more comfortable job because they felt that burden of, man, I wouldn't be stewarding the talents that God has given me if I go this route. I think about Luke Wells who I remember doing his membership interview and just saying, yeah, I'm gonna step up. I'm gonna be a group leader in Salt because man, it's been such a big impact for me. I think about our Sandy Springs City Group helping out Thomas when his apartment burned down. He lost everything he had and then Kelechi had given him a place to live. And I think about really the vast majority of our own members who um, have stepped up and given sacrificially of their time and their treasure when we've been in a tight spot from a volunteer and financial perspective. The list literally goes on and on. I had to stop because you can see I'm probably already going over it on time. But like, amen, amen. Amen. The the point is that, man, like we do embody this, this aim as a church, and I am, it is a privilege, it is an honor to serve alongside y'all as we we truly make this reality. So as we conclude not only today, but our DNA series for this year, I wanna remind us of some phrases we often use. The gospel changes people and people change the world. We don't see more transformation because we haven't been more transformed by the gospel. We need to cultivate our hearts to love and follow God above all else. We say the church is not like family, it is family. We say disciple-making is not a ministry of the church, it is the ministry of the church. And we say stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Our passage in 2 Corinthians 5 has reminding us that all these things do not rest on our own ability, but they rest on Christ's perfect life, perfect death and resurrection. And I love the way Tony, Tony Evans, pastor, he, he summarized this text in his commentary. And he says, by his glorious grace, God offers human beings the deal of a lifetime. Amen. So leave behind your side hustles and join into the greater heights that God has called us to and is reconciling all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that it all rests on you. Um, when we sit in that, when we think about that, God, it is truly humbling to think about all the countless ways um, that you have made a way instead of, and um, in, in spite of us, honestly. And so Lord, would you just allow us to walk in that humility, walk in that mindset and truly understand that all good things are for you. And we, it is a blessing. We are compelled then, to steward it for your glory and be part of something so great that you have called us to. Help us to sacrifice our own little kingdoms for something so, so much greater. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that he did to allow this. Thank you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so now, as we've been closing out these sessions, we are going to enter into a time of Q&A. Jenny is one of our Titus Two women and also a longtime member, what, 10 plus years? Oh,
0: gosh, Uh, January 2012 so what does it have I'm not good with math
1: yeah yeah it's like 10 plus years yeah so so I think y'all should know how this goes by now there there should be mics in the crowd if you have any questions along the lines of the um, the the sermon or the topic or really I mean DNA series as a whole uh, as we wrap up so we got one
0: How can we dip our toes in evangelism mm. in a literal sense? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I would say we all have neighbors, right? So I call neighboring the lowest hanging fruit in evangelism. And, um, and there's a reason that God calls us to love him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I just think to start, figure out how you can be intentional with your neighbors. Know their names. Know their stories. And not everyone on your street. Like, don't, like, I think sometimes in our Western evangelical culture, we think, I have to reach everyone with the gospel tomorrow. When it's like, I have probably three families on my street that they are my people. And I invest in them. If they ask me to do something, I hang out with them. If they open the door for me, I walk in it because I want to invest in that. That relationship. And so I think if we start um, not so big, but start, who is who lives next door to me? Who, who are the people that I have a natural connection with? Maybe not on your street, maybe in your work, but, but start with a small number of people and invest in them and realize, I think we have to be honest uh, in our culture today, we don't live uh, in a Christian world anymore. We are kind of post-Christian. So it takes time Uh, I'll tell a quick story. I told this at the Issachar Lecture's uh, on Friday, but my next door neighbors are dear to me. I have been investing in them for eight years and um, they've actually been to the church, not in here, but we had a Christmas event and they brought their fire pits and they hung out with our people and they think uh, that our relationships are, they know our relationships are different. They've said that to me or con, my neighbors specifically said that. So we were over at their house, myself uh, and Allie Wilson, and we were hanging out. We we were uh, working on a, a service project together that our families were going to do, and I, I kept telling Pia, hey, I have Bible study at 7.30. Like, I got to get home. And, you know, she brought out cheese and snacks, and at that point, we were committed. I mean, it was like, okay, so what do we do? And she's like, well, just have Bible study here. And I was like, oh, okay, with your Muslim husband, do you, you want me to have Bible study here? Oh. And, uh, and, and they're like, yeah. So they uh, boil up some like Turkish dumplings, and Pia makes the sauce. And we had Bible study at their house. And I've, I'm willing to say, for those that were there, because there were other people in this room that were there, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Orkan looks at me and he says, So you think I'm going to hell, huh? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. So, uh, and Sandy Yohannan goes, Orkan, that's not for Jenny to decide. And then Allie goes, that's why we follow Jesus is because we don't have to make those decisions. He's the one that—and y'all, we had—I mean, I didn't leave there till 11 o'clock. And I stayed a little bit later just to debrief with them. And they were like, that was amazing. I mean, they had so much fun. And so they're like, I love having conversations. And Orkhan's like, I can't believe in something that only has one way. Like, it's Mm -hmm. very narrow-minded. But he felt free to tell us that. Um, And I wish I could tell you that was like my first interaction with them. We were talking about the gospel. That took eight years of late nights and hanging out. And they lived in my house for a week while their house was being remodeled. I mean, I have invested heavily for eight years Mm -hmm. to see them now thinking more and more about this relationship with Jesus. So I think, and it started with a glass of wine on my front porch eight years ago. So I think we have to have that kind of long-term perspective. So ask the Lord, Lord, who are the three? And if you need to, just one. Start with one. Who is the one person or family that you're going to have me invest in so that I can be that ambassador, bringing the message of reconciliation to those people? Because, y'all, even if we each reach one, it's going to change the world. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I love Blueprint is because we are committed to living that kind of a lifestyle. So great question. If you want to learn more, I, 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 this is probably not surprising. This is what I do for my day job. <laughs> uh, I am a, technically a missionary to families. So I have a lot of training on this kind of stuff. And the greatest thing you can do is be hospitable. And, and we see that all through the Old Te- or the New Testament, right? In Romans, Romans 12, I think. Be hospitable. Mm. Entertain the stranger. That's what it means. Not entertaining, like making all pretty and fancy and everything, but loving on the stranger. That's what hospitality is. So anyway, sorry, I get a little excited about that. <laughs> so if y'all want to talk anymore, do a class. I love teaching people about how to live for Jesus.
1: Amen.
2: more just kind of piggyback off of what Jenny said. Um, I've learned from the evangelism, the person that asked that question, um, I think about the two conversations that I have on a consistent basis with my barber and also my coworker. And it came about by me just being open with my faith. I didn't beat him over the head with the Bible. I didn't try to share 16 scriptures with him. I just, just me being open and talking about Christ. It's like, I met my barber yesterday to get a haircut. And every time I sit in his chair, he always asks me something about either faith, family, and he knows I'm going to give him a biblical, you know, point of view, biblical perspective. But I like what you said about investing in that relationship. And when they know you're a Christian, you may not have a Christian conversation with them every single time you meet with them, but topics will come up. They will definitely come up. And it gives you an opportunity to share with them a biblical perspective on whatever topic they have a question about. So I just want to comment on that. Yeah.
0: It well, friends that God's word doesn't return void, right? Yeah. So if you speak a word over someone, they don't even have to know it's Scripture, right? And then it invests, and you and it, you keep on keeping on. We just got to be normal people, yeah. like, without an agenda, and just, if I'm walking with Jesus, that's what overflows for me. If you hang out with me, you're going to hear me talk about God, just how it works. And I make it normal, and I, I, I'm not weird about it. And so I think the more that we kind of embrace that and, and, and ask a lot of questions and figure that out, so... Um, yeah, we have to be not only ambassadors, but what else are we called? Farmers, right? What do farmers do? They spread a heck of a lot of seed, mm-hmm. and they don't even know everything that's going to come of that seed. Yeah. But if we are a, a faithful farmer and... Um, Elizabeth, somebody or other, at the Issachar Lectures, Rainwater, Elizabeth Rainwater, suggested we start posting some resources on our Facebook page with us. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be really cool. So I'll, I it, I, might, I have a Bible study uh, that we use with Family Life, the organization I work for, that talks about the four different uh, analogies of who we're supposed to be as farmers, ambassadors, uh, uh Royal priests and witnesses, or there's another one. But anyway, I'll post it there. It's really interesting to think about. But you're being a good farmer. Well done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're waiting on someone to maybe ask one more. Yeah, I just had, like, I think it's this paradox, right, of, yeah, I think so often we kind of think evangelism is sharing the gospel, the three circles. And it is that, but it is also so much more. It is the eight years you invested. It is, you know, being in the workplace, like having the respect of your colleagues where they even wanna know, right? And, uh, but then the paradox is yes, like, when the time comes, like be bold, like ask the question, like make that comment of like, yeah, this is why. And I love that Vanderstelt saying of like, live your life in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. Like, you know, I think that's your neighbor's like, why do y'all always have these people? Or someone, one of the city groups has said that, right? Like their neighbors are like, why every week you have people come and y'all do all this stuff, you know? So how do you, you know, create that type of asset? And that's what we're talking about. It's a stewardship mindset of just changing, man, how can I do this in a way that's strategic and in a way that's gonna win souls? Is there, I don't know
0: if this. Oh, it's working. Okay. Um, I was just wondering, what does like your church believe about um, like spiritual gifts and how they can edify the church and like I don't know, reach out to other people and stuff
1: like that. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. All right. Uh, <laughs> yes. What do we believe about spiritual gifts? I think we um, believe that spiritual gifts are still here, and they are still to be used and stewarded for God's glory, right? So, I don't think, one thing I love about Blueprint is uh, we say, love God, love people, and then do whatever you want. (laughs) And that's maybe taken too far sometimes, but the idea is that, like, we want to major on the principles. We talk a lot about principles, um, prudence, and preference, meaning, like, principles are things that we see specifically in Scripture, and that's what we're gonna really lean on, right? Like, the, the core of Blueprint is, like, Man, we want to align to the scriptures, but then we also realize there's a lot in the prudence and preference category that leaves that open for interpretation. And so, I think there are many in our church that are members that we affirm that have varying um, uh, beliefs on the spiritual gifts. Our, our kind of sole position is that, like, yes, they are here, but they are to be used for God's glory, and we don't kind of overemphasize them um, more or less. Would be my answer. If,
0: if it's so important to know how God has made you, what he wants you to do. You know, uh, Trent said, we open our home a lot. I have the gift of hospitality like that. It's not, people are like, gosh, it, it does, it's a gift. And I remember when I first tested hospitality, I was like, what a lame gift. Like, why can't I have like teaching or like something really cool hospitality? You just feed people. Uh, And then I I read a definition of what hospitality is. It's creating spaces where people can engage in the gospel and who Jesus is. And I was like, okay, I will do that. More than just cook food, I will create spaces where we can have gospel conversation. So I think, no, there are some people who are teachers, who are prophets, who are evangelists, and their gifts are for the advancement of our church and those outside of our church. And so... I would encourage all everybody know your gifting and figure out where you can plug in and use it yeah. um, here at blueprint or, or wherever God may call you but um, but don't don 't hide your gifts, figure them out, and use them that 's why God put us here if he doesn 't want to use us he better just take me home yeah. you know like i 'm I'm, I'm not here just to hang out
1: and, and that 's a great point I think one of the like, one of our core principles is like we never want to be mega right i mean we 've planted i don 't know how many churches at this point around the nine ten number and and a core reason of that is because we talked about responsible siblings, right? We want people to feel connected, feel responsible. And so a lot of times that's what I love about Blueprint is like, and it's not just like, oh, I have to go and serve on, you know, one of the teams. Like, no, like what are your gifts and how can we help you steward those in the local body? I have a similar situation to the one with your neighbors, kind of. Um, I have a lot of friends who just don't believe like kind of like leading atheist kind of deal um and just speaking with them, kind of just planting little like tidbits talking about Christ every now and then um but how do you how did you cultivate like the patience necessary mm-hmm. for um that long you know because I mean mine's like two years, but like eight is you know that's a long time, so um. I know it's a process, but, like, do you have any advice on
2: uh, cultivating patience? So
0: how patient is Jesus with
2: you? (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I think of the term long-suffering, and if I'm Christ's ambassador, if I'm his hands and feet in this world, then I long-suffer as long as people are interested. And I don't know if they're ever going to come to Jesus. I mean, some days I'm like, Lord, come on, but because he is patient and long-suffering with me, that is my calling. That's who I am. That's who Jesus is. And if I model my life after him, then I long-suffer if it takes 20 years. Took my mom and dad 10. when I I was one of the first in my family to come to Christ. And I mean, I thought they would never come to know Jesus. They were just baptized in their 70s two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So we are called to be those people. So I hope it doesn't take 20, but it could. And so you just keep going back to Jesus and saying, give me the patience, give me the opportunities, change their hearts, Lord. And I think the more that I release myself, I think being a professional missionary for so many years, <clears throat> I had to hand in statistics. <clears throat> How many people came to Jesus? That's really uh, discouraging sometimes, yeah. you know, when you're trying so hard. And so I felt a huge responsibility to save people. And as I released that to the Lord, it made this so much more fun. And so I think just keep being Jesus to them. Mm-hmm. And he'll give you what you need. He gives you everything you need for life and godliness. And so we'll pray for your friends. Yeah. But praise God you're doing it. Because yeah. you may be the only Jesus they ever see. Yeah.
1: Amen. Looks like we got time for one more.
3: Oh, I oh, do like talking on the mic. Can you hear me up there? Can y'all hear me? Yeah, I think Maybe. You use the mic, yeah. Okay. Oh, I <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm nervous for the bit. My question is a question, but for advice. So, my question is I suffer from depression and anxiety, and oh, don't huh. start. <sighs> I'm sorry. Okay, I suffer from depression and anxiety, and I was trying to see, I need advice on how can I, like, deal with the depression with negativity around me, like with my mom, my sister, and, like basically half of my family. And I pray, like I try to pray at night, but she'll come in my room. I can't lock the door, cause the, like the knob, it's on the outside of the door. Mm-hmm. So I can't lock it and have privacy to actually pray like, by myself with my children in my room. So, and when I try, she'll come in the room, bust in my room and start yelling, just yipping at the mouth. And knowing, knowing me, because I used to go to church, I don't curse a lot because I don't like cursing because my mom. And the thing is, I try to talk talk to her to see why she yelling and stuff. And I, I also suffered bipolarness. But the thing, what I'm trying to say is, how can I cope with that? Even if I use music and everything, it don't work. Mm. It don't. And it's like, it's hard. Mm. Very much hard. For a 25 year old like me? No. You, a 25 year old don't supposed to go through this? At all. I see if I were 30 now, come on. 40. I'm 25 but 10 months old and a um, five year old. Like, that's why I started coming to the church. I, that's why I first ca- I came to the church, because I know the girl right here sitting by me, she, I met her, and she's yeah. she my friend now. Huh? Be- she, she not my best friend, but she's like a best friend to <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> like a sister. Oh. And, wow. Well,
0: yeah. thank you for sharing your story. I mean, that's, thank- I, that's so hard. That's so so hard, and there are no easy answers. If you have an easy answer, Trent, please let me know, Mm -hmm. Um, because what you're talking about is really really challenging. But I think to applaud you, you are reaching out and doing the right thing, getting in community with people that love Jesus. This. Fine woman, right here, like you said, who, who is so faithful and can love you like Jesus loves you, and show you and redeem some of those relationships. So I don't, I don't. There's, there's no easy answer, but just keep surrounding yourself with positive people, um, because. That helps. That helps when you're feeling in a stuck place. If you can get to a place with other Christians that can hold your arms up when you're struggling, um, it's one of the best things you can do, but it's not easy, especially when you have responsibilities and, and children and whatnot. Um, but good job for trying. Um, maybe Trent, would you pray? Sure. Absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll pray over you. Annalise, you be the hands. You're going to lay hands on. And if there's anybody else that knows this wonderful woman over here wants to lay hands on her um, and pray that God would help her in this situation, because this is what we do. When we don't have the answers, we cry out. We say, Lord, I don't have it, but you do. And so we need you desperately to show up in our, each of our individual lives and in this, the life of this woman. So,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Lord, uh, you tell us in your Word, Psalm 55, cast your burden on me and I will sustain you. Um, and so, Lord, we just pray for for sustenance. We pray um, you'd be with this young lady and you would um, just draw near to her. And I thank you for the body. I thank you for Annalise and um, just the steward she has of of being in people's life. And I thank you for the local church because none of us were meant to walk this journey alone. And um, we need you, God, but we also need each other. And so, Lord, we thank you um, that you do give us all that we need. Uh, It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean it will always go the way we want, but you are sovereign and you are good. And so... Uh, help the church to never be a place where we cannot come and, and cast these cares on you and cast these cares on the church, but help us to, to enter in, to be responsible siblings and take ownership for, for the people that you have called us to, Lord. So we thank you that we have our hope in, in your son, Jesus Christ, who did it all for to allow us to, to operate and to um, be good stewards for your glory and for your glory alone, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.